Welcome back to this bonus episode of Full Metal RPG, bonus episode number 29. This is your host, Brendan Carey, and today I am joined by a very special guest. I have Khaldun Khalil, or as he likes to be called, Moon. So I'm going to be calling calling you Moon. What's up, man? How you been? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for your patience. Welcome to Full Metal RPG. Now, uh, today you are a very special guest because we have been very excited about Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition and its various kind of almost operatic twists and turns over the last couple of years, and yet we've never had anyone on to really talk about it from the development point perspective. But today... You're on. It's all changes you, now, I guess, yeah. <laughs> you are involved in development of Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What role is it that you have uh, with Vampire? Uh, well, I'm strictly a freelancer. I'm an author. I mean, I don't actually do any development, like, you know, um, big D development work with uh, Vampire. So I, I write words um, as far as, you know, what you would consider, you know, development, that's uh, that's not really what I do. I, I definitely work very closely with um, the people who, uh, who do that. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to think that they'd take my opinion seriously. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not, you know, it's not my call uh, what goes in and what goes out. That's, uh, that's up to the actual people with the title developer and, you know, editor as well. Cool, cool. So you have a long kind of history in the... RPG industry is that right? I think you your your credits show up on a large number of works. Would um, you like to talk about that a little bit? Uh, they actually don't. I don't actually have uh, credits that show up on a large number of works um, for various reasons. So? No, not really. But um, what I do have, I saw, I, I, you made, you put that list up, and I thought there was a ton of stuff on it. Was I wrong? Well, it's it's twenty years worth of stuff. So over the course of twenty years, it's not actually a lot. But yeah, my first started working on RPGs two thousand two thousand one. I think my first vampire book that I wrote on uh, that I was credited uh, was Cairo by Night. Um, and, uh, that was, you know, quite a while ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely don't have as many credits as, um, you know, other people who've been in the industry as long as, uh, you know, quote unquote, I have do, but, um, but yeah, no, thanks. I, I definitely feel like I've been writing a lot and, uh, it's, uh, mostly because it's always been kind of a, a part-time thing for me. Uh, you know, not really a hobby, but definitely something I, um, I didn't do to put food on the table, so now I do it more um, consistently and more as you know a job. While before it was always kind of a side thing. Wow, that's awesome! That's awesome to hear that that evolution has has happened, uh, and it's also very enviable that you have uh, a, a credited title on the original, you know, green marble vampire the masquerade. I mean, those days will never come back again. You know. Oh, uh, oh! I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I mean, not on the core book, for sure, but yes, that's true. Yes, I, I have, um, um, yeah, I have some credits in uh, The Masquerade. Uh, I guess that was revised edition, I think. It was like Year of the Scarab or something. Uh, and I've, <laughs> I've done a lot of work for Requiem as well. Um, so yeah, I've, I've kind of, uh, all the modern iterations of Vampire, I have, I have credits uh, there, yeah. Well, we're big fans of Requiem on this show. That is for Oh, really? Is okay, for well. Shoot. Oh, dude. Yeah. I I feel I mean like I I don't want to muddy the water here too much, but you know, uh Adam and I who really kind of founded the show, we are big believers that Requiem was like the high water mark for vampire writing because uh of just how crisp that game was. I mean, just I mean, the the stuff you could do with it, I just I just always thought was so great. Um if I was going to sit down and run a uh, White Wolf vampire game like today, it'd probably be Requiem. It's a great Interesting. Game. Okay. Well, yeah, the, yeah, we did some good work on Requiem. Uh, the the major book that I contributed to was um, Belial's Brood for uh, for that line. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Good. Cool. Cool. Um. So, uh, how did you how did you get into all this, man? Like, like for just for the frame of reference of our listeners, like, what was your 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 journey, like you know, starting out into it and then kind of progressing into freelancing and et cetera. As a writer, you mean, or um, 
Oh no! How did you come into or... it? I mean, we all come in as kids, right? I mean, did you come in as a kid and start playing, or how how that all come about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I um I played like D and D um uh, in a very infantile way. I think like in third or fourth grade or something like that. Um, it wasn't like you know really serious. Like we barely used the rules, even though I read through all the D and D books. We we like never used the rules, uh, which was always um. A point of consternation for me but uh, i really started playing with champions uh, the superhero rpg that was kind of my real first uh, role-playing game um but no yeah vampire definitely uh, took a hold of me when it first came out like i remember i had the you know the black and white vampire book um that was the first book uh of which i think was like the first or second edition of it before the green book came out um yeah, and it really, uh, you know, struck my uh, imagination. It uh, I ran it all the time, and uh, then I played LARPs, and I really got into vampire LARPing. Uh, still under vampire LARPing. Um, I guess my first vampire LARP was like uh, Balticon in like nineteen ninety two or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, it was uh, Ian Lemke and Mike Tinney uh, who would go on to basically, uh, you know, run White Wolf actually at one point. Uh, Mike Tinney would become, I think, the CEO or the president there, and Ian, of course, uh, wrote Changeling the Dreaming. Um, they ran, you know, Night Owl Productions, and uh, that kind of was my real introduction to LARPing and uh, really, you know, put Vampire in my heart. I've been playing and uh, running it ever since. As far as writing it, um, I guess from the LARPing world, uh, you know, uh, I got asked to help write for Cairo by night because of my understanding of like you know the Middle East and Arab culture and all that uh, and because I knew vampire real well um, and I you know I did a little writing on that but mostly it was project consultation you know on that that book and ever since then I just kind of maintained my contacts and uh, you know wrote here and there for it um, but it's probably only been probably only really been with V5 that I feel like um, you know I kind of uh, am an an author full time on some level. Wow, I mean that's actually kind of an interesting take because uh, saying that you were brought into Cairo by night to sort of like uh, help make sure that the Middle Eastern aspect of it was was authentic and true to the experience is actually kind of contra to sort of what people have kind of really kind of laid at the feet of the of the old old masquerade where they're like oh it didn't have anything to do with anything and it was all written by white guys who had never been there um can you can you speak to that a little bit like i mean was there an a a feeling going on at white wolf i mean there must have been right that like things needed to be authentic and needed to be legit i can't um well i can't really speak to that as far as old white wolf is concerned um like because my <coughs> my contacts or connection with them were pretty limited uh, but definitely for Year of the Scarab, which was in Cairo, was kind of like the, uh, I guess the linchpin book of that series of that, you know, year, because they did those year, like year of this, year of that, year of the hunter, which was kind of thematic for all, everything released in that year. Uh, so I think definitely for Year of the Scarab, they wanted to, you know, help get it right. Um, you know, the, the author they chose was, uh, you know, a, Palestinian Arab uh, for the book and uh, they they're the ones who reached out to me to make sure that the book was uh, you know authentic I it wasn't really White Wolf that reached out to me so I can't really speak to um, whether White Wolf wanted things to be authentic um, they you know they didn't block my you know inclusion in the book uh, or anything like that um, so that's good um, so I mean it, it can be difficult I mean back then you know, you didn't have Google or, you know, that kind of knowledge on tap. You really had to kind of go out of your way to, uh, you know, be authentic. And, and you know, margins are pretty tight in RPGs. Like, uh, it's uh, not exactly the kind of business where, um, you know, you can make a living. Like, very few people that I know make a living, you know, writing role-playing games. Yeah, it's true, right? Um, so, you have this background as a LARPer, and... Mm. You, you until very recently, you were like heavily involved in uh, Los Angeles LARP. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I've recently moved, but yeah, I was uh, I was running and playing LARPs in Los Angeles, uh, and, I, and I'll probably run and play LARPs out here in the D.C. area. You know, now that I'm uh, back in kind of my hotel, hometown region. 
Yeah, now that you're on, on home ground, going to get something started once things are settled in, huh? That's the plan, yeah. Yes. Nice, nice. D- does that kind of experience as a lifelong LARPer, does that bring you like a certain kind of credibility or does that help you with the viewpoint that the new White Wolf is doing? Because I, I get this feeling like from the last couple of years of development that uh, that they were very kind of LARP centric and they were they were proceeding from this 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 idea that the that the LARP was the game that people had continued playing and the, and a lot of people who were at the very top were were uh, hardcore LARPers. So so how has that how has that experience helped you in the new the new White Wolf? Well, that's an interesting take. Um, I guess that is true to some level. Yeah. The um, well, I mean, when we speak about White Wolf and uh, you know V five and all that, I'd say that. Um, Definitely the core book uh, of V5, uh, you know, there's some elements there where I definitely say there's kind of a, a LARPer's perspective on things uh, in some way in that there's a, there's a deep focus on the politics, the sect politics uh, in the core book um, that's, you know, t- that plays a very central role in uh, what's going on there. Uh, and that is a very, um, what I, I would consider kind of a, a LARP mentality. Um, and you know, that's, uh, might not, oh, not, might not be everybody's cup of tea, I guess, on some level, but as far as, you know, my current writing, I, um, I'd say that you kind of have to put it to the side because the LARP dynamic, especially, um, yeah, the LARP dynamic, it's very, you know, very concerned with titles and you know how a city runs and this kind of vampire versus vampire dynamic um and v5 itself while that's very important um the play is not all about that uh when you really dive into the game uh like there's a lot of words written especially in the core uh, about this kind of vampire versus vampire stuff but uh, as a player, I feel what's really there, you know, when you're playing vampire, um, most of the people you're going to be dealing with are, are mortals. Like, when you're dealing with other vampires, like, stuff gets complicated. And that shouldn't be, uh, you know, the norm. Like, when you're dealing with other vampires, that should be, uh, you know, a, a wrinkle in uh, what's going on. Um, because, um, as we were talking about at one point, I believe, about the, uh, you know, kind of paradigm shift, the... Uh, V5's paradigm shift from, you know, revised uh, vampire uh, is old vampire is very concerned with this war of ages, this kind of, you know, you're young and you're fighting against the old. Uh, And V5 flips that on its head a bit by taking the old out of the picture, you know, uh, with the beckoning and and all that. So suddenly um, it's almost as if the young have the upper hand. And that's, uh, that's a pretty dramatic shift in, uh, or at least they believe they have the upper hand. That's a pretty dramatic shift uh, for V5. And uh, I don't really think that um, comes from like a LARP perspective per se, uh, if that answered the question. Now, I, think that's, I think that's really interesting. So, um, so you've played a lot of V5. I imagine that you're playing a lot. And I mean, I saw... I run a lot of V5. I mean... Okay, that's that's fair. I've played it only a handful of times, if that. Like, I've run a lot of V5, and I've play-tested a lot of V5. So, yeah, there's a a difference. Yeah, for sure. Well, so when you run V5, Mm. you feel like that the characters are interacting with mortals more often than they're interacting with other vampires. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah. I mean, basically, the real action... Well, the um, the action is mostly mortal and oriented. Depe- I mean, depends on what kind of game you're running. If you're running like a courtly Camarilla game, then yeah, I could definitely see things revolving around Elysiums and like you know having the best toys and all that. And that would I would think would be a very LARP. Um, that would be very comfortable for a LARPer that kind of game, where basically their main concern is like you know uh, what's going on at Elysium and the court and you know what court position they have and who at court likes them and the such. But for V5, the baseline game assumes that you're, um, A, a younger kindred, younger vampire, and B, probably either an anarch or completely unaligned. 
So, um, you know, the doors of Elysium are not really, you know, open to you. That's not really, you know, maybe that's a goal, you know, to get there, or maybe burning the Elysium down is a goal. Um, so that kind of Elysium-style game um, isn't doesn't really seem to be the default. Um, I would say that, uh, for me, running the game most of the day-to-day -day is... Your goals are set up by other vampires, you know, the Baron or, you know, who you answer to and the such. But how you achieve those goals that, you know, groundwork is mostly done with, you know, interacting with mortals or, you know, lesser vampires like Thin Bloods and the such. It's interesting because the game that you're sort of describing, like, it mean, that sounds to me like a really raw version of a vampire. And I think that... It sounds very similar in a certain way to almost the way that like second edition kind of positioned itself in the opening fiction, and it was like this is what the game is about. Um, but then when you actually played the game, it didn't ever seem like you were actually playing that way. It all, I mean, the, when you talk about the uh, the Elysium game uh, with the, with titles and such, while the games that I ran never really had anything to do with titles, it was still very in involved in vampire and vampire politicking and it almost felt like interacting with a mortal npc was a little bit kind of like outside the norm you know like maybe hunters or mob bosses or something like that but for the most part you just went around and talked to other vampires about stuff so what you're really saying is is that the the, the game has kind of shifted um it's 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 perspective it sounds to me like it's almost become it's almost like taking a step back toward towards core fundamentals well, I mean, um, you know, if you speak to the, um, you know, White Wolf, the guys involved in the core, uh, those original developers, that was really their intent, uh, was to get back to that game, that kind of like 90s game that they fell in love with, uh, which was kind of a street-level game. And, um, just, you know, the success and failure of that uh you know, you know that that'll that'll that's you know that'll be seen. You know how people play it. Like that's kind of the way I play it because that is of interest to me. Um, like I run a game, you know, set in Mexico City, and my players are anarchs, um, and uh, it's you know that's that's of interest to me. That kind of um, conflict and tension that you know comes from that. Um, from basically being kind of like anarch holdouts in a city occupied by the Camarilla, in a sense. Um, oh, we're going to get into that in yeah, just a second. Yeah, so <laughs> I have I have a follow up question. Okay, on that. all right. Um, so let, let's kind of talk for a second. Do you, is is because you, you're talking about the success of play. Let's kind of take a step back and like I kind of want to ask. Is Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition successful? Is it a successful edition? Did it accomplish what the people who designed it set out to accomplish? Not just fictionally in terms of like, well, we're kind of rebooting the world a little bit, but like economically in terms of... Um, moving units in terms of getting attention back on the property in terms of reigniting player interest? That's an interesting question. Well, uh, for the first part, whether it accomplished their goals, I, I don't really know. Like, that's going to take some time. Like, I don't really feel um, we're going to know that until, right, we see more games and, you know, see how it shakes out. Um Part of that is, you know, just play. So if it's going to be played the way they want it to be played, in a sense, we'll see. Uh, end of the day, even original Vampire, as successful as it was, wasn't played the way it was intended to be played. Like, it was not played as this kind of, you know, um, younger vampires railing against the old kind of, you know, punk vampire thing. It became the, the Elysium game. You know, it became that kind of game. Um, and, you know, that... That uh, kind of took over the game in a sense, and the game line kind of adapted to, uh, you know, um, cater to that. That's why you got you had all those clan books, and you know you had the Elysium book, and you had city book after city book, and the such like that. Um, as far as it being successful, you know, economically and all that, I I mean I assume so. I uh, 
you know, I've never had as much vampire writing, and not just on books, but on board games and other things than I have now. Um, so that, so from from my perspective, it seems like it's successful in that I have a lot more vampire writing than I've ever had in the past, and on more than just RPGs. Um, and I think when the uh, video game comes out, it's only going to be um, you know more successful um, in some sense. I mean, I'd I'd say the the only weakness in the line I see right now is it needs more product. I mean, in the old White Wolf, uh, when they had, you know, all these salaried writers and all this stuff, uh, they would probably have, you know, a ton of books out by now. Right now, we have a handful of books out, and, um, you know, once the video game hits, I assume there's going to be a boost in demand, and people are going to want to fill out their library of V5 stuff, and um, we're playing, you know, we're, we're really trying hard to make sure that's there when the, the demand is there. I think it's interesting that you bring up uh, video games and board games because I, I wanted to kind of segue into this, and uh, you've given me the perfect opportunity. Uh, so PDXCon was this weekend, the weekend that we're talking, PDXCon happened, and uh, I have, you know, I'm on Facebook, and I'm looking at my Facebook, and I am scrolling through, and I see news from PDXCon, and uh, I see the this kind of thing that we've kind of become sort of used to seeing with like White Wolf big announcements, and it's like a stage, and there's like lasers, and there's like you know a crowd of people who are there to see announcements, and then it's like there's gonna be announcements, and then all the announcements are video games. And then I was at Gen Con. Uh, I, I I saw you. I saw you at Gen Con. That's right. And yes. um, I went over. I've made my way over to the White Wolf booth. And there was nary a role-playing book to be seen. All the all the all the white all the the role-playing books were at the Modifius booth, because I guess they're handling the the franchise now. That's I, correct. I, I, yeah. I suppose they've put like a pretty hard line there. And as I'm walking amongst the White Wolf booth, the only person I recognize is, is Jason Carl. And then like there's something like seven board games, uh, and then two or three of them are vampire themed. Correct. Um, so where's where's our role playing stuff? <laughs> like, why, why aren't why where's the heat on our role playing stuff? Uh, uh, you know, I feel the same way you do. You know, where is the role playing stuff? And you know, it's uh, it's coming. You know, um, I can say that. <clears throat> you know, for my part, I've done the writing. Uh, you know, and uh, a whole team of people have done the writing. The words are there. Uh, so it's just a matter of uh, when it gets uh, put together and put out. I mean, when you have, like, I, I don't know all the details. I can't say that I, you know, know how the back end works. But from my understanding, you know, Modifius is the major licensee. It's basically uh, going to be putting out all the RPGs going forward. Uh, and everything kind of flows through them. But PDX, uh, White Wolf, you know, they have um, some kind of uh, control. I'm not quite sure exactly what the, the lines are. Um, but obviously that has to get all hashed out um, and, you know, put out. And uh, we'll see how, see how that process works. I mean, Modifius obviously is a you know, major publisher. They've got all these major lines. So, you know, they have uh, a history of putting out, you know, lots and lots of books like if you look at their star trek line you know alone let alone uh, the rest of it it's uh and conan it's uh you know they can they can do the business so it's just a matter of uh, it getting out there um i don't know if there's any hold up or what's what but from my understanding there are at least three or four uh books on route um and then of course there's the uh the onyx path books as well uh i think they're putting out a couple of v5 books um, though, uh, I, I don't really know their, their system. I'm not tied into the, the Onyx path system either. Yeah. Uh, I, I was bummed because it was like, you know, some of the vamp fluencers or whatever were all like big news coming out of PDX con. I was like, Oh boy, I can't wait to at least see some cover art or something. And then it's just like video game, video game, video game. And then there was like a picture of what looks like Chicago by night, but it's not printed or anything it's like a spiral bound notebook of i guess what is going to be in the book well my understanding um, i thought i mean i think well onyx paths business model i mean um, this is not i don't know it for real but 
my understanding is they do Kickstarters, and then they um, publish to the people who backed the Kickstarter and so on and so forth, and, and that's basically the books. And maybe there's some print-on-demand here and there, but I believe Chicago by Night will actually be available in stores at some point. That, that's my understanding. That's what I had heard, and I, yeah. and I, I wait with <coughs> bated breath for this moment because I, I really want to be going down to my friendly local game store and buying vampire books. Yeah, I no, I, I, uh, I, back. I feel you, I feel you a hundred percent. Like I go to my, uh, you know, local, uh, game store. I go to, you know, dream wizards down the street from me and I go to games and stuff. Um, you know, about 20 minutes from my house. Um, and I see, you know, the vampire books, but it's just the core book, uh, the storyteller screen, and the Camarilla book. That's basically all I kind of see out there. Sometimes I'll see the Anarch book. Uh, and right, and, you know, uh, there are books coming. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing them since, you know, I've got credits in them. <laughs> so uh, what can you tell us about what's coming down the pike? What can you? What, what are you allowed to tell us about? Well, um, the main thing I've been working on, and uh, that's kind of, you know, in the can and waiting... Uh, waiting like play testing and all that and will hopefully be out soon is the vampire players guide uh and that basically is an expansion uh of the core book in a sense like it provides a lot more details of the individual clans and gives us some more um i'd say complete bevy of the clans all in one place um so that basically you don't have to hunt for all the clans uh amongst you know six different books you know, you'll have uh, basically all of them there um, so that you can, you know, make the characters you want to make. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of clans that were kind of left out of the core book, and then, you know, you'd find them in the Camarilla book or the Anarch book. And that was a design choice from the original, um, from the original plan. But I, I think players uh, like to have everything in, in one place, and, and that's part of the design, you know, that's kind of the design idea behind the player's guide. And it goes into each clan uh, into some detail with some lore and, uh, you know, mechanics. And talks about, you know, some of the other V5 core mechanics uh, as well. Um, I'd say the main thing is it continues the kind of street-level uh, perspective of V5. Uh, it doesn't really get too much into, you know, what you call, I guess what you used to call the jihad in the old terms. Um, and the sabbat is definitely, um, you know, still a, still a missing factor. It's still kind of a mystery sect. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that book. I think that book is going to have a lot of stuff in there that's going to provide a nice mix of, you know, crunch and fluff. Because uh, I... A lot of feedback we've gotten from players so far is that um, the books are either too crunchy or too fluffy. So you know, hopefully, this one has a good mix of, of both. <laughs> ha has has attention been paid to how the books are laid out so that they can actually be used as game manuals? Because while the the books that are currently out are very beautiful to look at, they are sometimes difficult to navigate as manuals. Uh, what's the take on that? Or do you know? I don't. So, uh, mm -hmm. as I said, uh, mm -hmm. since I'm not a developer or editor, yeah, not the sorry. layout guy, I can't really answer that question as far as... Um, I'm, if, like, I, I'm like, I got somebody on the payroll. I'm going to ask you all my questions. <laughs> um, that's that's fair. So, uh, so what, 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 I, are, what are some other books that you've been working on then? If you're allowed to speak on them. Um, well, for V5, uh, that's the main one that I can talk about. Like, there's um, there's also kind of uh, kind of like a intro um, adventure that uh, I guess adventure is the best way to put it that uh, I've worked on. And there's some future books that uh, yeah I can't speak about right now that I'm uh, working on uh, that should you know advance the meta plot and kind of answer some questions that that people have as far as you know. What exactly is going on in the larger uh, vampire world? Um, so I'm pretty excited about those as well. Uh, but, so, but we'll see. So, so, so we're gonna kind of, you know, we, we can we can loop back to the professional aspect mm. of it, and I want you to have as much time as you want to talk about that. But you are running a game that takes place in Mexico City. Correct. Yes. Okay. Me Mexico City, in the old canon, was the the very heart of the Sabbath. 
That's very correct. heart. Mm-hmm. And now you're and you're saying and we, and we we've kind of got this vibe that the Sabbath's a mystery sect, uh, and you're running in Mexico City. Like, how are you working with that Sabbath as mystery sect? Is are are you playing with stuff that we don't know about? Or are you just kind of freeform interpreting it the way you see it? Well, I mean, I'm an author, so on some level I am playing with stuff that, I, that you don't know about because some of the stuff I play with I will then incorporate into the books <laughs> in the future. Ah. So that that's fair to say that in, on some level I am playing with stuff you don't know about, but you know, in 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 you know, but all all STs are playing with stuff that you know that you don't know about that I don't know about. Um, just the only advantage I have on some level is that in the future I might get to write something where I incorporate something that I liked from my game uh, into the books. But uh, no, I mean, I use the baseline Mexico City from V5, which is a very interesting uh, dynamic, which is, you know, the Sabbat, basically uh, abandoned this, like from the bare bones, what you get from V5, you know, from the core books and, you know, the Camarilla book and so on, is that the Sabbat basically abandoned Mexico City and that the Camry at some point decided to uh, take it over as this kind of, you know, show of strength by uh, the beleaguered Ventru to kind of, you know, um, show that they were still in control of the Camry and that they were, you know, um, big shot still. Uh, and then it evolves, and there's this kind of uh, occupation zone, this kind of almost a rock green zone, or a blue zone, as I call it in my game, um, situation, where there's really only a few blocks of the city that the Camarilla really controls, and that the rest is basically unaligned vampires, anarchs, you know, a couple of Sabbat stragglers, uh, and, you know, other more crazy, terrible things. Um... And so that that's a very interesting dynamic. And uh, my players, my players are basically very young anarchs who were embraced in this uh, interregnum period between when the Sabbat kind of left and abandoned the city, and then the Camarilla took over. So like their first experiences as vampires was basically a year or two where the anarchs kind of like ran the town, and then suddenly the Camarilla come in. Um, so that that gives them a very unique perspective as far as the city. They're like the locals. Um, so as far as the Sabbat being a, a mystery sect, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic because I personally am a long-standing Sabbat player. Like I play Sabbat, you know, when the Sabbat books came out, the original Steve Brown Player's Guide and Storyteller's Guide to Sabbat. Uh, you know, I, I use those nonstop. Like, my Sabbat book is uh, a shambles from being manhandled. Um, that original Steve Brown uh, Player's Guide Sabbat book. Um, that's the soft cover one. Yeah, that's an, those, those, those are the incredible books. There's probably the, those two books are probably, in my opinion, the best books in the whole line. Um, like, unmatched. Um, even Dirty Secrets was, you know, as much as people malign that book, has a lot, a lot of great stuff in there. Um, so... I'm a major Sabat player. I'm a huge Sabat player. I LARP Sabat nonstop, and I personally think Sabat is, on some levels, almost the heart of the game and what kept the game alive when it was not being supported for about a decade. Um, like, the Sabat players are usually the most fanatic of your Vampire the Masquerade players. So, at first, I was kind of put off that I wouldn't be able to play Sabat or know what was going on with the Sabat or this, that, and the other thing, uh, that they disappeared and, you know, all this terrible stuff. Um, but now that I'm actually playing V5, um, I feel there's something to that. And it gives almost the opportunity to, uh, well, hopefully that the Sabbat will be reimagined in a very interesting way. Because one thing, um, to go back to paradigm shifts... there was something, um, to talk about Martin Erickson for a second, that he said... Uh, that was very interesting, which is he said, you know, um, there are certain parts of the game that we felt were segregated behind walls that you couldn't play, and that you had to play one sector or the other to, like, experience these parts of the game. And one thing he talked about was the religiosity of the Sabbat, how that was such an interesting part of their play. And I agree with that on some level. And that 
that wasn't really something you were kind of allowed to explore when you played an Anarch or a Camarilla uh, vampire. But that V5 kind of opened that up so that those aspects of the game you weren't allowed to play on some sense because, you know, you weren't playing Sabat at that time uh, have now been opened up. Like, the the Camarilla of V5 has a lot more in common with the Sabat of V5, of Sabat of older editions than, um, than the Anarchs do now. Like, there's the Church of Cain and all that stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's very interesting um, playability there. And then, hopefully, you know, Hopefully, though I have you know little say in this, uh, if when and if the Sabbat becomes a playable sect, um, it will have some very interesting options that you know plug into V five well. Interesting, interesting. Um, I'm fascinated. I mean, that's I think you speak very well of it to uh, to kind of like inspire inspire that play. Um, well, I mean, V five. You have to understand V five when it came out. It was gonna come. It was gonna come up against some very serious concerns, because really, what you had is a fan community, this Vampire the Masquerade fan community that had basically been abandoned. Um, you know, Requiem came out, and there was a lot of support for Requiem, and I you know I wrote and played Requiem. I you know I love that game too, um, but I was also a hardcore Masquerade player and you know hardcore Sabat player. So when V five came out, there was a lot of excitement. But there was also the trepidation that you know, um, the you know these fans had basically been left out, uh, you know, to dry for you know a decade, uh, and what exactly was going to come down the pipe? Um, not to mention the fact that you know, a lot of the fans are Americans, and you know, these kind of like you know non-American creators are taking over the the brand. Uh, you know, that's another level of suspicion. So there was there was always going to be it was always going to be a hard sell, you know, especially if you're going to make big changes. Well, I mean, one of the big changes, and this this factors directly into the Sabbat and into the big changes and into the suspicion, is the way that uh, the Lasombra have been taken out of the Sabbat and they've been transplanted into the Camarilla. And I've I, I know some old school players who just you say that to them and they like lose their mind. Mm. They're just like that would never happen. They say that. So I mean, you want to speak to that a little? Sure, bit? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, well, I mean, on me. I, I, <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to hear. Okay, well, t- I mean, I'll, I will make my biases clear, uh, which is as a player, not as an author or creator. Like when you're an author or creator, you have to. Like, uh, this is actually something that Jason Carl told me, which was, you know, kind of stuck with me. Which is when you write, you have to... You can either be a professional or you can be a fan. Like, those are basically your choices. Like, when you write, you have to put your fandom aside. So, yeah, as a player, like, I don't, you know, I don't particularly like Tremere. As a player, I don't particularly like Lissambra. Like, those aren't my things. But when I write for those clans, like, I have to put that aside and, you know, write for people who do like those clans in particular. Uh, though I do, I will say I I do like the V five uh, take on Tremere very much. Um, so, La Sombra were always looking for a niche. You know what I mean? Like I think V five has given them a niche that they never really had before. Like they are always kind of stealing other clans' um, roles. They're always biting off the Ventru and biting off the Giovanni. They were never really finding anything. They like. They, they 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 like tried to make them pirates at one point. You know, like I every remember. La Sombra clan book like just got was just like everybody was always waiting for the La Sombra clan book because they always knew the most ridiculous power creep would be in the La Sombra clan book because the only way they seemed to want to solve the problem was to give them more ridiculous powers. Uh, like abyss mysticism and so on and so forth. Um so, like, we went through, like, three La Sombra clan books where the clan was kind of, like, reimagined in, like, a million different ways, whether they were pirates or infernalists or whether they were really controlling shadows or, you know, wisps of the abyss or so on and so forth. Um, so I think in V5, they kind of finally find their niche in a sense in that, you know, they're the clan, you know, A, they're the clan of darkness, uh, and B... They're always kind of an ill fit in the Sabbat. Like, the Slumber were always the, um, in a sense, the, like, bureaucrats slash uh, mob bosses of the Sabbat. Like, they were the COOs. 
in a sense. Like they ran the day, 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 and you know everything kind of ran their way. Um, they were the, in a sense, the bean counters. While the Zemese were always the heart and soul of the Sabbat. Like they were, you know, all the spiritual kind of visceral aspects of the Sabbat that you know really made the Sabbat the Sabbat. The kind of like gross, icky stuff that was the Zemese. While the La Sombra was always that kind of like facade, that like shadow of something real um, that kind of covered that up uh, and ran it. But in a sense, they were never really of the Sabbat. Um, and in a sense, I feel what they've done now is almost more true to them. Uh, like if you take, say, the, um, what is it called? The Amici de Nocti or whatever, the Friends of the Night. That kind mm-hmm. of like cross-sect uh, organization of La Sombra elders. Like that is the most non-Sabbat thing I can think of. Uh, and the fact that that was one of the things that kind of, you know, um, kind of put the nail in the coffin, as it were, for them, uh, I feel makes perfect sense. Um, like the Sabbat not controlling the territory, the Sabbat not being kind of Camarilla you know, getting back to its roots, like what place is there for the La Sombra uh, in such a sect? Um, I guess none on some level. Um, well, I think, you, I think you bring up some really interesting points because, for instance, when the La Sombra first get introduced and they become playable, right? You're trying to figure out what makes these guys not <clears throat> just like like uh, Ventru Jr., right? Correct. And... And again, it comes down to this power creep idea of, well, uh, they've got Path of Power in the Inner Voice. So literally, if you sit there and you read Path of Power in the Inner Voice in the original Sabbath Player's Guide, you're just like, basically, I can do whatever I want <laughs> as long as as long as it's in my as long as I get something out of it or whatever. It doesn't really matter what then I can do whatever I want. So I can be like, I can, I can be as like unbelievably inhumane in my pursuit of power as possible. And another vampire who is on the path of humanity can't. Um, I have some thoughts on you, that. You, you start seeing some, you start seeing some breakdowns later on when you're in revised edition, because you get these Lasombra guys who are essentially princes of cities and they are going around being like, we can't really have you guys just like flesh crafting your faces into like horrifying masks all the time. It'd be really great if every so often you pretended to be a human, but you're, they're not supposed to actually say that. You know what I'm saying? They can't. They, they can't say that. And there's a there's a bunch of uh, the the there's a bunch of Lasombra NPCs who on some level should have been on Path of Humanity. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Especially towards the end of Revised, where you're like, why isn't this guy just on Path of Humanity? Instead, they keep coming up with these like wacky. Like you were saying, these wacky new paths to have them be on. That do they make well, sense? Do they uh, be interesting? Well, I would say, well, I wouldn't say wacky new paths, but um, I would definitely say that there was power creep. Usually, it was in merits or in weird levels of powers. As far as the paths of enlightenment, um, I feel the paths of enlightenment, as you know, as originally written um, in the second edition, were very well done, and that if played per the spirit and mechanics that were presented, um, they were very constraining. Like, uh, let's say Path of Inner Power and Inner Voice, the original second edition version. Revised... Uh, on me. Yeah, I feel revised... There was definitely a push in revives to kind of humanize all the paths of enlightenment. There was kind of like, they wanted to water down all the paths, so like they put like, you know, killing in all of them and so on and so forth. The, they didn't want paths to be as inhumane as they were, and they tried to say the Sabbat were mostly on humanity. You know, it, it was kind of this uh, retconning of the Sabbat and revised that I feel uh, was not very well done. But that's neither here nor there. If we take the original paths, like Power and Inner Voice, I mean, basically, at that point, if there's a lot of work that the ST has to do, to make sure these paths are as restrictive as they should be. Like Path of Power and Inner Voice, there's a lot of honest on you to, you know, treat your underlings correctly and um, so on and so forth uh, that, you know, someone on humanity would not be restricted by. Um, so yeah, while I agree there were probably too many paths and, like, there are a million different flavors of paths and maybe, you know, we only really needed a handful that really, you know, 
hit the archetypes. Um, I feel there was something to be said done with the paths uh, that would that that was interesting. Um, and, and I wouldn't really say that was the major you know quote unquote problem with the Lasombra. I would say the Lasombra, what they really didn't have is they didn't have an archetype, a role to fill um, that uh, really set them apart from the other clans. And so there was always this kind of like struggle to define them that, uh, that you know, hurt the clan as a whole. And you feel that's been addressed in the new material? I feel that in the new material, um, you know, Matthew Dawkins and his team on Chicago by Night, uh, they really took point on La Sombra and developing it. Uh, have really done, I feel, you know, probably the best job you could with what they've had in the past to make them playable and interesting in the new V5 context. Like, they've taken this kind of where do we belong idea that La Sombra always struggled with on a metagame level and kind of put it into play. So now on an IC level, the La Sombra are, you know, where do we belong? They don't belong in the Sabbat on some level anymore. Like, there's no place for them there, really, um, anymore. So where do they belong as a clan? And, you know, they're trying to answer that question. Uh, like, what does it mean to be the clan of darkness? I mean, that's a tough question on some level. Mm, no, that's fucking rad, honestly. That's, that's Yeah, no, I wish I thought of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I dig it. I mean, I think that that's one of the reasons that uh, Dark Ages is so fun to play. Yes. You know? Uh, you're not constrained by a lot of these ideas of like, oh, well, like, which team am I going to be on? You know, it's like you're like, uh, you, your loyalty is to the clan. Perhaps you're getting a lot of ideas about your culture and your identity from your clan. And then your clan has goals and objectives in particular regions. And like, there may be intense pressures placed upon you to um, to uh, facilitate those things, you know? Um which is one of the things I think makes the kind of like soap opera of uh, Dark Ages as it kind of leads up through the adventure books like Transylvania, Giovanni Chronicles, like into the the other stuff. Uh, so compelling. Why like those things, are just, those Chronicles of Ages games were just like so fun to play, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Dark Ages had, um, there was a lot of interesting stuff to be said there. And uh, the writing in Dark Ages is very good as well. Are, are you guys looking at that when you guys are uh, going through and writing the new stuff? Like, I mean, are you guys... I mean, because there's been so many just un unbelievably radical changes, like Banu Hakim, you know what I'm mm, saying? Mm. Like, uh, uh, are you guys drawing on inspirations? This will be my last question, by the way. I'm sure you've got to go. But uh, 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 are you guys drawing on... Uh, are you guys drawing on... Uh, uh, those inspirations from the Dark Ages stuff, or are you sticking to the um, second and third editions or the Onyx Path editions? <clears throat> well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, uh, a lot of us are very steeped in that stuff, so we can't help but draw upon it, uh, of course, uh, because that's you know our that's our point of reference is, is those things. Those are the games we played and what we wrote and what got us originally interested. And and some of us obviously you know wrote on uh, wrote on some of that stuff. Um, but on another level, you know, because things are, you know, fresh and new, you, you don't want to keep rewriting things. And, um, and you touched upon this, but White Wolf has always had kind of a fraught relationship with, um, you know, different vampire clans of different cultures, like the Bano Hakim, the, you know, formerly the Asimites. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, were always a particular concern to me, you know, being an Arab, you know, Palestinian. Uh, you know, the kind of Arab terrorist vampire assassin clan was always kind of problematic. Uh, and I'm sure some people had issues with Ravnos, uh, as, as people have heard, you know, the like, you know, quote unquote, you know, gypsy clan. Um, you know, nowadays we consider that word, you know, a slur. Um, right. So, you know, knowing that, we have to approach, you know, these clans with some sensitivity. And uh, on some level, V5 has succeeded in that, you know, before Bon Hakim was even written, you know, I was approached and asked about, you know, to give my advice on the Bono Hakim and all that before the Camarilla book was even published. And, uh, and then during some rewrites of Camarilla, you know, I was able to kind of expand on that um, and tackle some, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say insensitive, but definitely some things that could have been addressed in a different and more sensitive way um, in the Camarilla book. Um, as far as the Middle East is concerned. Uh, 
So, yes and no. You know, White Wolf, even in Requiem, um, has had issues with, uh, as far as, you know, sensitivity. Vampire the Masquerade had some issues with sensitivity um, to different cultures and, you know, this kind of, you know, POC perspective. Because uh, a lot of their ideas were drawn from different cultures for how these different vampire clans operate. Um, so we are, you know, operating in that new paradigm, and, you know, we are looking for authors, um, you know, who can, you know, express those ideas and, you know, have those point of views, you know, aren't just reading about it in Wikipedia, um, you know, ha have lived those experiences. Uh, so, so I guess that's how I'd answer it. It's not so much that I look at the old books and figure out how, you know, Zemacy should be uh, written. Like, uh, I have, you know, that's ingrained in me. You know, uh, I'm always going to um, think of Zemacy from Dark Ages and uh, the original Steve Brown Sabat books when I write about Zemacy, but I'm also going to think about, you know, uh, the culture that's based upon and how I can be sensitive to those cultures and not just, you know, exploit them. Uh, you know, if I'm going to represent them in... Um, an authentic way or or not you know uh, i have to be upfront about it well right on man i really appreciate you talking to us about all this uh where can people find you and interact with you on the internet um boy i don't know if they i want them to uh no um i have um, <laughs> no i mean uh, i have a patron uh, uh or patreon or however it's called it's called it's pronounced uh, you can look me up there i'm caldoon khalil or true moon uh, I mostly talk about, you know, uh, live action and, uh, my V5 work. Uh, but I also talk about, um, you know, the Middle East and, uh, you know, security issues as, as per my, uh, you know, training and education. Um, so yeah, on Patron and, uh, you know, I visit discords that are community V5, mostly based discords as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm out there. Great. Great. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. To well, thanks for having me on. This was a great, great chat. You know, I'm always happy to talk about vampires and uh, role-playing games. Uh, so, oh, you know, yeah. much appreciated. Us too. I'm, I'm certain that we'll be calling upon you again soon because I could, I mean, seriously, the, an, an hour just flew right by and I could I could go on. Um, okay. Thank, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time, man. Have a great night. All right, you too. Thank you.